0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second episode of the This Month in Entrepreneurship or TMI podcast. I am your host, Ashley Rocker Priori, and my co-host today.
1: And I am Alex Hamrick.
0: So for today's episode, we have with us Siri Tergeson, who's actually the Associate Dean for Research and External Relations at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Siri has been part of the Academy of Management Entrepreneurship Division for years in multiple different roles, ranging from representative at large to now membership committee member. So she has a bunch of different roles that she does with the division. Not only has Siri had the successful career, but before she actually became an assistant professor, she actually was a Fulbright scholar and pursued her PhD at the UK, then did a postdoc at Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. So she's kind of been all around the world, um, published in top journals like Academy of Management Review, Journal of Management, SMJ, even entrepreneurship journals like Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice. She has over 10,000 citations and has also written over two books. So she's kind of been a superstar in this field and we're really excited to have her with us here today. So first of all, thank you so much for joining and doing this. We plan to start every episode with an icebreaker question. And for season one, our icebreaker question, if you had to survive in the wild, what's one tool you'd bring with you?
2: That's a great question. I think most certainly I would bring my smartphone because I'm absolutely uh, addicted to using it and it makes me more efficient in balancing all the challenges.
0: So with your smartphone, I'm assuming you think you'd be able to last a fair bit because you could call people, maybe DoorDash some food.
2: That could work. And I would just have another Siri because I could just say, hey, Siri. And uh, there'd be two of us to figure it out. So I'm definitely going to bring my other Siri.
1: I love it. Nice, Yeah, I love it. So we had our amazing research team do some research here. And we noticed you have a really unique desk. You have to tell us about that desk. (laughs) that is
2: so sweet of you Alex um that is indeed my current uh home tweet on my Twitter page and I have had that desk for 12 years it is a recumbent bicycle I think it's a Schwinn 220 costs about $300 and uh the old SkyMall um desk and that is where I grade an awful lot of papers I also do my early morning edits um and work during the day. Not today, I'm here in my office at FAU in Boca Raton, but um, I did a lot of Zoom calls and even conferences. So I can do sometimes uh, 50 miles of exercise biking while I'm in a conference. Um, I love it. I think one of my favorite things, especially with doctoral students and junior faculty is to talk about ways to increase your productivity and your happiness. And for me, having that recumbent bicycle desk has absolutely done that for 12 years. I'm so grateful for it, um, especially because during parts of my career, I didn't live in places as nice as sunny Boca Raton, so I couldn't be biking outside as much as I would have liked. And I also, um, you know, tend to have so much research and so much teaching, grading, or emails to work through that that's a great chance to do it. Thanks. I, I, uh, I, I refer anyone to my Twitter page, which is my first and last name, Siri Turchison, and you can check it out. I have some other productivity hacks. Would you like to hear those?
0: Tell us more about these other ones. You said you had a list.
2: Making really good decisions with time management. First of all, it's protecting the best time of your day. Uh, you probably know that. Is, are you a morning person? Are you a middle of the day, an afternoon, or an evening person and blocking that? Um, turning off your cell phone, um, even putting a note outside your door. I have a note outside my door now. Don't knock. I'm talking. Um, And protecting that bubble of time is so important because every time that you get interrupted, for example, by a new email or someone knocking on your door or a phone call, it can take five minutes if you're lucky, but sometimes 15 minutes to get back to where you were before. So that's the number one um, hack. And it's okay if those hours don't match everyone else's hours. Um, There's a beautiful article on the time preferences of some of the most creative and productive people across industries. And some of them work uh, from 4 a.m. until 10 a.m. concentrated. Uh, Another piece is to think about how you spend your time on various research projects doctoral student, you just get a few projects often with your advisor, and it's important to deliver and even over deliver on those. But as you uh, mature in your career, there might be more projects, but you need to figure out a rubric to decide what to do and what not to do. Because just as you teach strategy to your undergraduate and graduate students, that strategy is about saying yes to some things and no to others. um, Same thing for your career. One more thing is that you can keep track of what you're doing and you'll need to do this anyway. Uh, This is great advice from Melissa Carden, who's now with you um, at UT Knoxville, but she said you should have a yay me sheet. And by that it's keep track of all the things you're doing. So um, if you did, for example, um, serve on the committee to choose the new doctoral students, or if you did meet with the donor or Um, mentor an undergraduate scholar. Keep track of that. That's a good practice. Also where you see where your time is. When people ask you to do more, you can say, well, I'm actually already doing all these activities. Um, And once you become a junior faculty, usually in January of every year, you need to log uh, what we call a faculty activity report. And so then it won't take you very long because you can just open your Word doc and enter all of those activities. And of course, it, it almost goes without saying, but you also want to separately keep track of where all your working papers, papers under review, et cetera, are. And again, I think an electronic solution is nice. Although some people also like to see it um, on a board in their office and sometimes also so that other people can see <laughs> that they're doing things in their office.
1: Yeah, those are um, amazing tips and I'm really glad you shared them. Just whether it's electronic or not having this mapped out where your project stand is helpful because you're not overwhelmed with what I need to be doing. So hundred percent agree.
0: Since this season is all about the entrepreneurship division, we're going to, um, some questions about that. Tell us a bit about how you decided to get involved with the division in the first place, not just your, your role now in the membership committee, but prior to that, when you were part of the executive team too.
2: So I was lucky because when I did my PhD in the UK, we had the British Academy of Management and I served as the PhD rep to that. So I knew how interesting the workings of these organizations would be. And then when the opportunity came up to run for RAL, Representative at Large, I absolutely took it. What I didn't know at the time as a young assistant professor was that one could serve on a committee. And that's a fabulous way to get involved because we have so many committees and they are comprised of some of the kindest, um, generous, but also terrific scholars and also servant leaders. So I think, I, I can't remember the date, but I was probably elected about six or seven years ago and um, served for my, I guess, few years as RAL and uh, hung on as membership chair for a while. And now I'm just on the membership committee, but I really enjoy it.
1: That's awesome, and and Siri, uh, for those who might not know, what exactly is a membership committee?
2: So the membership committee is your welcome to the entrepreneurship division. We have over 3,000 members in the entrepreneurship division, and actually we're one of the largest divisions with junior scholars, particularly doctoral students and assistant professorships. Um, So We were the first division to formally have an in-person event at the Academy of Management that's been running at least seven or eight years, um, where you could sit around in a round table and meet others. So it's really important. And also to profile new members in our newsletter and make them aware of opportunities in the division.
0: So what does being a part of the membership committee entail?
2: Well, it depends on your role in the membership committee. So some of us organize that in-person event, which unfortunately now needs to go virtual. Others of us gather the profiles of new members and share those in the division newsletter. Um, And certainly I think we can just actively promote the entrepreneurship division, because as you know, when you join the academy management, you get two divisions for free and then you can buy a, a a third division so just making people aware and for me personally my first home division at the academy was uh, at the time bps now strategy and i'm still a member Uh, it's a terrific community of people but i really connected much better not just in research but also just in uh, personality and work ethic and internationalness with our entrepreneurship division so I think a lot of people who are looking for a home at the academy could find it in the entrepreneurship division.
1: Awesome, and are there opportunities for PhD students to be involved with the membership committee and what are those?
2: Absolutely, so you could get in touch with the chair of our membership Miriam Nockert and um, join any of the committees that we have and really find something that's most interesting to you. It's a wonderful opportunity to meet other people, especially in this more virtual world that we've been living in for the last 18 months and hopefully not too many months to come.
0: So I know that last year, the membership committee was trying to push forward more initiatives like mentoring, like the 30 minute mentoring that Annalore and Keaton had put together. Are there other ones that you guys have been talking about that you think are cool initiatives that people don't maybe know about? Well, I think the mentorship piece is really important. And I had a couple of
2: mentees in that. It's been something that we repeatedly see when we survey our members, especially junior members. And I think there's also an opportunity to come up with something just like you and Alex came up with this innovative podcast idea. If you have a new way of engaging our members, um, propose it and just run with it. I think that would be
0: wonderful. So we need to ask our mailbag question.
2: Oh, I remember this on Twitter. (laughs)
0: So Jason asks, what do you think is the role of entrepreneurial universities in social impact creation by other means different from technology transfer? So we know that entrepreneurship students, or we teach entrepreneurship students to innovate and come up with new innovative technologies. How do you think universities can boost social impact outside of just training people to come up with new tech innovations?
2: Here at FAU, we are all about equality of opportunity. Of our 9,000 students in the business school, roughly 45% come are racial or ethnic minorities or come from families in the lowest one-third or even one-fifth of incomes. So we are the engine that accelerates these students into the middle class and often, um, you know, even better. So that's most important to us. That's why I'm here and took a pay cut from American university, because right now there is a kid on a boat with with some family member coming from Haiti, the Dominican Republic or Cuba to start a new life in America because we have the greatest economic and personal freedom in the world. And that child, deserves a right not only to a K to 12 public education, but also to a university education. And our tuition here is approximately 5,500 US dollars a year. And the Pell Grant, which covers folks in the lowest income strata, basically covers that entirely. So that's how you make social impact is you get give equality of opportunity to these young people who come from nothing. And I have have undergraduate students I work for who came here from Haiti at age five, live in a three bedroom condo with uh, seven people and are working two part-time jobs to come to FAU, getting their degrees in data analytics, informatics, accounting, and will be able to get great jobs and move up, especially because so many firms are moving to the South Florida area. And that's what we do. Um, and we have great stories. Um, Manny Medina uh, founded a terrific company, and he was an immigrant who attended FAU. The chair of our board of trustees, Abdul Mowbray, came to FAU as a college of business student and now runs, I think, the largest privately held company in the aerospace um, renting and maintenance industry. Another FAU grad who's on our board of trustees is Brent Burns, who's the CEO of one of the 20 largest privately held companies in America. Um, That is what we do. And we have an amazing career services um, and and other advising groups on campus that can meet with students anytime and plug them into internships and other jobs. And that's how you make an impact because we, should keep, in my in my opinion, we should keep our country open to immigrants who are fleeing uh, communism and socialism. And we should allow them to come to America and make it. And that's what we're here to do. Um, so I think that's how we boost social impact.
1: That's um, really useful information. And I find it really interesting when you bring up the the school system and, and Boca Raton, and that's something I did not know. And it just seems like an amazing place. We noticed that FAU is hiring. So for our listeners, you could you talk us through the positions that are um, uh, being hired on? And of course, you know, people, this a stroll to the beach, the location's amazing. So we'd love to hear um, more about that.
2: Well, I'm, I am biased because I love FAU. And I will say, but my first like real tenure track job was at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Very nice, six hours from my hometown in Akron, Ohio. But the week I got there, I set up a job search of the Chronicle for jobs in Florida because I uh, had lived abroad for 11 years overseas, um, some of which right next to the ocean. And I knew I loved that. But we will be hiring at FAU. Um, it is not quite official, but I did write up this agreement with the donor for two tenure track uh, open rank positions in value creation. Those will be open rank tenure track positions for fall of 2022 to contribute to this new center. Um, And obviously within value creation, certainly entrepreneurship uh, strategy and other management topics. We have a huge um, contingent of entrepreneurship faculty here. Roland Kidwell is our department chair, and Don Neubom is one of our senior professors at its family business reviews, edited ETP. Kevin Cox does a beautiful job running Tech Runway. We also have Sophia Johan and Doug Cumming, who do a lot in entrepreneurial finance, and they're in our finance department. And then we have Will Luther and Chris Boudreau, who are, and Monica Escaleras, who are in our economics department, but they do quite a lot of entrepreneurship research. And there are many others, but we already have a, oh, Gary Kester Giovanni runs our PhD program, and Ming Shang, Lee, Len Trevino, um, Mike Harari, they all do publish regularly in entrepreneurship journals too. So we already have a really large collection of people, but we want to grow that. And fortunately, we can because we have almost 9,000 students in the College of Business. So that's a lot of classes to teach, which then can help justify. Lines for faculty. So Peter Klein and I are both at the Norwegian School of Economics. Um, So it's important to make people aware that there are jobs outside the U.S. that may actually be quite attractive Um, for some reasons. So I have a physician husband. Alex has a veterinarian wife. It would be difficult to move overseas and maintain licensing, but other people are far more portable. Um, So the Scandinavian universities are renowned for the amount of time that junior scholars can spend on the research and the relatively good salaries. So you have people like Cheryl Winston-Smith, who did her PhD at Harvard a few years ago, she was at Temple, and then she moved to BI, which is the Norwegian School of Management in Oslo, Um, for her career. And I believe her husband is a PhD in science and took a job at another Norwegian university. So it's important to remember that there is a global job market. And there are particular countries like all of those in Scandinavia and most countries in Western Europe that can be quite attractive to scholars in terms of getting sufficient time on their research. There are also opportunities like postdocs that can be amazing if one is willing to take a one to two year appointment. I did a postdoc at Queensland University of Technology with Per Davidson. And there were many great entrepreneurship scholars at the time and learned so much in that uh, year and a half period and would encourage many others to consider a postdoc route, especially if it's at an institution with a terrific entrepreneurship presence
0: and you can build connections with scholars. I was talking to a friend in entrepreneurship as well about postdocs and they're relatively new, at least in the States about, and I think maybe COVID it's an artifact of COVID, but it's a good initiative to have of in the hard sciences. When you do a postdoc, you usually, or can go directly and stay on with the same school, the same um, lab, whatever you're at that you did your postdoc at. With our field, more social sciences, are you, is it almost like a PhD that wherever you do your postdoc, you're supposed to place somewhere else or are schools wanting you to do a postdoc and stay on with them long-term?
2: I think it's both, but there is definitely a preference to try before you buy with a postdoc and then uh, retain him or her for an assistant professorship. That's what happened to me. At QUT, I went as a postdoc and then converted to a senior lecturer. David Lucas, a fabulous young scholar at Syracuse started as a postdoc in Maria Minetti's center. And then he interviewed along with many, many other people for the assistant professorship, but got that position. And a postdoc is also a sign that the university has some research funding because those tend to be either no load or one-one type teaching. Uh, So that, now the salaries are a little bit lower, but they're still a reasonable salary for basically being a fifth or a sixth year PhD student in terms of the extra time and runway. But of course, some postdocs are only just short term, or there might be an assistant professorship and the candidate may not win that. It's a great chance to get to know people from other areas, work directly on a project. Um, The postdocs in Europe tend to be funded linked to a project, so someone like Miriam Nockart or many others in the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, etc. would have major funding which would include a PhD line and a postdoc line. Um, So I think it can be a great opportunity for someone who is mobile and willing to wait an additional year or two to start the tenure track. I had a postdoc at American University, terrific young man, Rich Devine, who finished at Florida State. And he was there with us for two years. And in that time period, he was able to get a couple of really great journal publications, including AMJ. And then he was able to get a great tenure job at DePaul University in Chicago. So I think that two year period allowed Rich the time to get more papers into the pipeline to get a better job than he might have gotten coming out of
1: Florida State with less publications. We are starting to see this become more popular in our field. So I think that's great advice for people that really want to get, you know, the best out of their research career and and place somewhere and get experience and build that network. You can do that in a postdoc. And I think that's awesome advice.
2: In fact, that's where the pressure comes from. The US universities need to file the H.E.R.D. annually, the Higher Education Research and Development Survey. And one of the items on the survey is how many postdocs are funded at your university. And again, tend to be in the sciences, um, but the business schools are getting more pressure. So I think we are certainly under pressure to have more postdocs. Now, we're fortunate because some foreign countries will send fully funded postdocs to us at no cost to us, but we also want to come up with some internal funding to retain postdocs too. Now there's also an option that many people took this past year due to COVID to stay on at their current institution as a visiting scholar. The salaries tend to be lower, sometimes more than the PhD funding, um, sometimes involving some teaching And that's also a great option if you love where you're at, you've got great collaborations and research papers in the pipeline, and you don't see anything on the job market that you really love and could commit to for many years. So again, it's a little bit of a financial hit in terms of not starting the job market sooner, but... It can be a huge boost to your publications. Uh, Brad Eagle, at Brigham Young University, has said that he believes that every A publication will lead to at least two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in salary for faculty over their careers, just because of getting. Um, not some some universities will pay bonuses or summer support, but others, you know, will just give you a a better paid job. So. If you can stay in a postdoc and get an A publication or two from that year, then the net present value of that is uh, far better than taking a, say, 3 3 or 4 4 assistant professorship and constantly being on the job search for something better. I think the best advice I would give to folks looking at the market is constantly be aware of opportunities. And if there's something that you really love, go for it, even if you're ABD. And if there isn't something, stay on at your university as a visiting scholar or as a postdoc, because that will give you the time to find the right job. Yep, and don't apply to the jobs you don't want because there's nothing worse than a school flying in three or six candidates and then all turning them down.
0: All right, so this is the same question we ask we plan to ask every episode regardless of season. Um, but knowing what you know now, what is one thing you wish you knew when you first started your doctoral program?
2: That, that's such a terrific question. There are so many things that I wish that I knew. I would have done a much better job of staying organized. At the time I started my doctoral program, uh, the hard drives were smaller, Cloud was non-existent. So keeping great copies of everything. I think it's also important to maintain this network because you will want to help others and they will want to help you. And that will vary depending on your career stage. The time management tricks are so important because you just go through different stages with many people choosing to have children, um, choosing to marry someone with a very different career and needing to be able to do that in the same geographic area. Um, And being just aware of what are your most important criteria and constantly working towards those is so important. I'm an administrator now. So I guess one thing I would say that I did not recognize years ago is how much behind the scenes work it takes to run a business school, um, even to provide a PhD program. You are all on stipends and we also pay health insurance for you. And we provide the faculty to teach your very small sections and mentor you. So it's difficult to see that, but each PhD student who's brought on at any university is typically of cost of at least $250,000 over that time period in terms of um, not only your salary and benefits, but also the faculty time and investment that could be spent in other activities. um, please don't underestimate the value that your university places on you. And also on everything that needs to happen, I think
0: is important. And of course, same thing goes for the entrepreneurship division. So, thank you so much for being here with us today, Siri. It's been so nice to hear your insights and more about you and your life in FAU. And we really appreciate you just taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Thank you guys. This is so much fun. Everyone else, we look forward to your questions for our next host, which we will post on our social media channels as we did last episode. You can find those social media channels in the description for this episode, along with Siri's contact information in case you want to reach her with any more questions. And we look forward to seeing your questions for next episode. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening and goodbye.